I'm your host, Neil Langridge, and I'm joined today by Nick Hogg, Director of Technical Training at Fortra. The adage of employees being both the weakest link and the first line of defence remains true. But how can organisations truly leverage people's unique insight and engagement with phishing emails, spoof websites and social engineering? Hi everyone, I'm Neil Langridge from E92 Plus and welcome to the latest edition of our podcast, Return of the Hack. I'm delighted today to be joined by Nick Hogg, who's the Director of Technical Training at Fortra. Hi Nick. Hi Neil, good to be here. Yeah, thanks very much for for joining us today. So we're going to be covering a number of uh, kind of topics, but in particular focus around around users and their kind of role at the heart of kind of cybersecurity and technology and kind of how they interact with it, how they kind of are part of that line against uh, defence and how they interact with the technology, both in terms of those threats coming in and how we're kind of helping to protect them. So I kind of wanted to start at the at the top with a, a survey that uh, that kind of Fortra had done recently, talking to kind of employees and so not just IT teams, but kind of you know normal people in terms of their their interaction. And it was over three quarters of people kind of were knowingly um, kind of accepting the fact that they'd kind of been targeted by a cyber attack. So that's quite a high number, but I suppose at least we'll say it's a good thing that people are beginning to kind of build greater awareness of when they're being targeted. And at least that's the starting point to knowing, you know, how to protect themselves a little bit better. Yeah, I I think so. Um, Building a good sort of baseline of cybersecurity awareness within an organisation can definitely help to raise your general sort of security profile within the business because if you can start to educate the users about what maybe might be risky behavior when it comes to suspicious messages coming into the organization phishing messages or dodgy whatsapp messages you start receiving from the ceo all those kind of things if they're a little bit more aware of those types of risks they're more likely to be less trusting when it comes to that side of things yeah but i think when you're looking at building security awareness within the organization it's very important that these things are driven from the top, from the C-level down within the business, because if it's the CEO who seem to be driving these kind of things, then it's much harder for the general employees to just kind of brush that to the side and think, oh, it doesn't really apply to me, or that's just IT or security or compliance moaning again about this annual training course that I've got to go through there. And that's kind of borne out when you talk to people at the information commissioner's office and so on, because I was talking to one of their sort of senior people there who said, look, the first thing she does when she goes into an organization to investigate a data breach or a compliance breach is to ask them to show her the emails that have come from the CEO to the employees to explain why GDPR or security right. awareness or data protection yeah. is important and it's everyone's job. And if they can't show that email, then her first response is, well, you as a business clearly do not take data protection as seriously as you should be doing. So if you can drive that down from the top, that's you know, useful from that kind of compliance perspective and sort of demonstrating you're you know, taking the best endeavors, the best steps. But it's also important about getting that engagement from the employee base because we've all been through the annual compliance training tick boxes from various organizations for anti-bribery, anti-bullying, GDPR and all these other things and they can be this massive sort of onerous drain in your time for the general employees who are all kind of busy, they've got their jobs to do and when these are pushed out they're not necessarily pushed out at the most appropriate time for the organization it's end of quarter end of month or whatever and you've got all these other things you should be doing over here now somebody's saying oh you need to spend two hours doing a training course on gdpr compliance it's the last thing you want to be doing there so i think we when we come to rolling out these types of programs within organizations from a training perspective myself little and better tends to be the best way to get the adoption from the employees because if you can choose one topic a month ensure that the kind of buy-in from the employees you know it's five six minutes to go and watch this video or take this short e-learning module here or just dial into a short call to learn about you know phishing awareness or ransomware awareness etc etc and if that is made to be very relevant to your job role so when you're talking to a development team, you're talking to them about secure development practices rather than handling, you know, I don't know, purchase orders or something that they're not going to be touching on a day-to-day basis. If you can do all those things, you can start to make that training much more relevant to the employees and much more likely to land with them 
and if you're doing that over the course of the year, you know, one thing a month you know, on a regular cadence, you're much more likely to keep that front and centre in people's minds because, you know, best of all in the world, if you do that annual once a year tick box exercise on security awareness training, unless your day-to-day job is all around security or GDPR compliance, you're not going to remember that sort of thing 10, 11 months down the line. And that's where you start to see people falling for the new and emergent risks because it's not a PDF with some active content in it that's potentially going to be bringing the ransomware into the business. Now it's, oh, I've got an email with a voicemail attached to it. I need to phone, phone a number and talk to a nice person at the end of the phone about something. Yep. And that's the thing that eventually gets you to sort of surrender your credentials and yep. kicks off that data breach for the organization. So a very long-winded way of saying little and often and make it relevant to people's job roles. Yeah, not just a poster on the canteen wall. Um, we need, probably need a little bit more than that. But I, no, I think that kind of executive sponsorship is key on a number of ways because I think it's organisations feel, as you say, they need to know that it's coming from top down. It needs to yeah, be. Yeah. It needs to be built. I think that's fascinating that the, you know the ICO is taking a view of you need to see accountability from the top. Yeah. And I think obviously, I think account, I mean obviously, it's sometimes you know they're even talking about legislation. But I think at least in terms of demonstrating accountability for an organisation, um, especially in the event of post-breach, of being able to show that, I think is a really positive sign of making sure that senior leadership, and I think if people see that they're taking part and they're taking that lead, and then little and often, I think that, I think we forget that building a positive um, and transparent cybersecurity culture is the same as any culture. If you have a sales organisation, you don't do one call out a year in a big sales meeting and go, well, that's going to be the, great for the next 12 months. Little and often, repeated, kind of building building best practices and I think the the other thing that I often kind of find um, organizations where they do it well and successfully is is not just having that that positive but that transparency of encouraging employees to be able to talk to each other and share horror stories frankly as well I mean one of the things that came out in that report was that the, 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 you know 76 percent of people kind of knew that they'd been targeted and 61 percent certainly I think that was at least in the US said that they'd been successfully hit People being able to say, yeah, I got hit or I got that email and it looked like this. Being able to share share that, I think, is is really encouraging because the more people understand what it looks like and, and how it feels, I think, is really essential at embedding in that cultural change. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, from a personal point of view, you learn most effectively from your mistakes. That's the most effective yeah. form of learning. And from listening to other people talking about their mistakes, you know, you say, all right, okay, well, you fell for that, and you know, you're tricked by this. So this is better going to going to better equip me to recognise that type of risk in the future. Yeah. And your your point about people being more willing and feeling more able to talk about these types of things, I, I think is very positive because we've seen this shift away from people feeling like there's kind of a blame culture around it. Oh, you're an idiot, you clicked on a link, how could you do that? Well, when we run simulated phishing tests against organizations, the number of senior people within the organizations, including people like CISOs, who are the ones who actually engage with those messages and click on the links and provide the credentials is pretty significant. So. I don't think any of the kind of general rank and file employees like myself should ever feel kind of, oh no, we've done something stupid here. It's just we've been tricked by social engineering and social engineering is entirely designed to get us to engage with you and you know do something that we want you to do. So this positive move to this more kind of accepting culture around if something happens, that's fine. Just tell us about it. And if you tell us about it quickly, we can respond to it and yeah. minimize the impact versus, you know, if you try and sweep it under the carpet because you feel a bit guilty about it or you think you might lose your job over it, then that's potentially where you've got the much more significant breaches happening where the attackers are quite able to happily sit within the environment for weeks, months, or even years, harvesting up all the information they want and then dropping a wee ransomware payload on the way out of the door just to make your life yeah. even you know more difficult to clean up after yourself. And we've seen, I think, also as well, that kind of executive leadership or lack thereof with some organisations that I think of, I think, it, uh, I'll put it politely, and misjudged the approach that they should take in terms of um, kind of exploiting people's fears and weaknesses or guilt-tripping them into doing links and then punishing them off the back of that. I think yeah. that, again, that shows the importance of having that kind of cultural awareness within an organisation of understanding your employees and taking people with you on the journey it, it very much you know everybody needs to go on it together and it it can't just be used as a you know as a, as a stick to beat people because again that will just 
re- reduce levels levels of engagement. Yeah, you know, these simulated fishing tests and things like that, I think, are very useful tools for you because they allow you to understand the, the kind of level of risk you've potentially got within the employee base in terms of how people are likely to interact with things. I think from my point of view, it's important that you're not seen as just deliberately going out of your way to try and trick the employees, trip them up so that you can go and shout at them and embarrass them. But it's more how do you use that as a positive educational mechanism? So when you talk about security awareness training, there's the kind of formal training modules you can roll out as e-learning there's the calls you can make there's the face-to-face sessions and you know talking to people recently kind of post-covid what they're finding is actually getting people back into the office back into the classroom and doing some of the security awareness training face-to-face is actually proving to be more effective and training perspective again yeah um, yeah absolutely say that because you can tell that people aren't able to just get distracted by the emails that keep pinging up and all the the team's messages that drop in so that you get more of their attention from there. But when we talk about awareness training, it's not just about those kind of formal educational programs. It's about all these little bits of nudge education that you can give to the employees, which aren't, you know, go sit down and spend an hour going through a training module. It's the pop-ups, it's the notifications that happen when the employee has done something that is riskier than you want them to be doing within the organization and and those simulated phishing tests are a brilliant tool for that because the attackers are constantly evolving the attacks that they're they're using so that nice module you've written on phishing you know threats six months ago is already out of date because the attackers are pivoting and looking for mechanisms that will trick the employees into interacting with that so you can use those simulated phishing ones to start to say oh you know what we're seeing attackers exploiting this platform like a slack or something like that right well okay let's see if we target this subset of the organization that use that to see if they're likely to surrender their credentials to that and then cool you know and if we see there's a significant number of people doing that that's useful from our point of view because we know what we what we need to do to kind of follow it up but at the point that the user has clicked on the link or provided the credentials, you can give them that pop-up that explains to them why this was more risky than you want, and you can point them to additional training collateral or courseware or whatever to educate them there. And those little bits of nudge education are really effective because, like going back to, to earlier, it's learning from your mistakes is one of the most um, effective mechanisms you have there. And I think that's, if you can get into that kind of cadence where you're not seen to be doing that to try and entrap the employees and make the life yeah. harder or, you know, you know, turn them into fools, but actually it's, you're doing it in a positive way because you're just helping them understand what the most current set of threats are and you're keeping them educated that way. That's where you will get the most effective kind of engagement and learning from there. Yeah, and and you're doing it in the moment. I think that's the thing. There's there's there, there's definitely no one size fits all. The classroom stuff, the 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 kind of you know the the kind of regular schedule stuff, but the stuff in the moment of when somebody does something and then bringing up nudges and reminders. There's it yeah. needs to be continued, but it also does need to be varied because it's you know it can't just be predictable because yeah. you know the the threats, the bad actors are not predictable. And as you say, it's constantly evolving. You know, there's there is stuff in terms of targeting communication channels. There's there's the, the, the you know the Increasing voicemails, getting people to, you know, getting people to do the work of calling them, which, which again feels like, well, obviously that's not going to work, but it absolutely does work because this stuff is, is unfortunately, is really well put together. Some of it, yeah. some of it is incredibly realistic and sophisticated looking, and I think the ones where you end up phoning a number or you're listening, you know, even just where there's a voicemail attachment to start yeah. to pull you in just talking to a person overcomes a lot of people's suspicions you know i'm actually a very suspicious person but as soon as you start engaging with people who all sound very well spoken and know what they're talking about um you're much more likely to just kind of drop the defenses and engage with them i did it was a workshop i did a while back and i was talking to the bunch of CISOs, basically just saying look if any of your employees fall fallen for these kind of phishing um messages and one of them's like oh yeah absolutely we we had a brilliant one we had somebody in the finance team 
who got an email from the CEO to say, oh, we're about to engage in some M&A activity. Now, obviously, it's very commercially sensitive, so I would appreciate if you didn't talk to anyone about this, even including your manager. But I'd like you to head that up from our point of view. You're going to get a call tomorrow from a guy from this consultancy firm. And he's, you know, this is his name. He'll introduce himself. He'll explain the project to you, and he'll tell you what you need. Please give him every assistance he's asking for. The next day, sure enough, this uh, this employee gets a call. Very well spoken person gives him a good exp- explanation of how they use a code name for the the email domain, so nobody under nobody will know who's engaged in the the M&E activity. And it all sounds nicely convincing. And the guy spent three weeks giving this attacker everything he asked for. Wow. And it was only because he mentioned something to his boss. His boss went, "What, what are you working on? Why is the CEO not spoken to me about this?" Yeah. Went and asked the CEO, and the CEO was just, "I've." never authorised this, we're not doing anything like this, yeah. what's, what's going on? So I, I think when we talk about the security awareness training, we'll, we're obviously very concerned about the phishing messages that are coming into the organisations because when you look at a lot of the data breaches, it's 80-90% of them, it's a simple phishing email that is the first instigator. Yeah. of that data breach, whether it's you giving up credentials or you voluntarily sharing commercially sensitive information there. Yeah. So as well as kind of educating people about the phishing threats coming into the business, we also need to focus a lot on educating them about the need to handle sensitive information appropriately. And again, it's just that thing of if you think you've done something and shared something you shouldn't have, then don't be shy about yeah. asking somebody and these are the channels you talk through and again if you are feel that you're more able to actually raise a concern and explain that you've maybe done something that's going to be an issue then sweep it under the carpet again that gives the organization more time to try and respond to these types of things yeah yeah no, yeah absolutely and i think that the, the challenge i suppose in a way on encouraging executives to kind of build this out is is again like so many things on cybersecurity. It's trying to understand how that fits with the broader kind of IT and digital kind of transformation strategy, but also recognizing recognizing ROI on it. Because I mean, especially especially I suppose the kind of in the related kind of question two in one is how do you build the business case and the value for it? Um, because it isn't just it isn't software. You can't hardware. You can't amortize or depreciate it. Um, it's training, but it's also not training. If you deliver kind of sales, if there's training that's essential from a compliance point of view, you're ticking that box. If it's training from a sales and or in an enablement perspective, you could see increases in productivity or new projects. It's it's training that that won't necessarily deliver its ROI. And then I suppose, therefore, where does where often do you see it sitting in terms of who owns this? Is it IT? Is it the security team? Is it is it HR? Kind of you know kind of and how's the best way for that team to be able to demonstrate business value and ROI back to the back to the organisation? Yeah, I mean, in terms of where it can sit, it can sit in all the places you kind of mentioned there. Um, depending on the organisation, sometimes it's the size of the organisation, sometimes the structure. I think quite often you, you mentioned compliance and it's easier to demonstrate the the ROI, the value there when it comes to compliance because I think the exec teams, the boards understand that kind of big stick of compliance now. So if you say you know, this is going yeah. to help towards our GDPR, DORA, PCI, whatever, then that's all right. Okay, well, we, we can see how that's part of the picture. Now, you're maybe putting other things in there that are going to kind of expand the kind of security awareness scope there. So it's not just about GDPR, but it's about yeah. all of the things that might, if it ultimately lead to a breach of GDPR or something like that. So you might see some of these things are driven by the security teams or the compliance teams because they, that's how they, they can potentially get the buy-in from the organization. For a bunch of organizations we talk to, HR are still the people that own it because it's training, so it's seen as kind of this sort yeah. of development of the employees. Now, it's development in a way that's going to be very positive from the, the organization's point of view because you're reducing the risk of the business. But the way you're kind of um, helping to make things the employees more secure themselves, you know, because if the, if you're doing the training right, you're maybe helping them understand that those phishing risks, those ransomware risks, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, how those apply to their personal day-to-day lives as well. So yeah. they're kind of get something out of that, um, and IT can own it as well, I think. And again, depending on the size of the organisation, 
if they don't have the separate sort of security or compliance functions, then again, it's maybe some, something that just gets thrown at IT to sort out because yep. it's all IT stuff, so you, you can fix it there. I think when it comes to the ROI side of things, like a lot of the security solutions that are out there, you know, I, I think historically it's always been approached as a bit of a, oh, it's like having insurance here. If you don't have it, then you'll regret it if you don't because and if something yeah. goes wrong um but that's tricky to justify to a business internally because you're not able to show well here's the cost savings etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think what typically works is using the compliance angle to get the buy-in and then wrap the, the rest of the security awareness training there in the background that seems to be the, one of the more effective ways of getting that to the the buy-in from the executive team to push that through yeah, and, and and I also think from a HR perspective, I think it's easy to kind of underestimate, and you kind of touched on it, actually that you can bring tremendous value to your employees, I mean, their own personal life, in terms of making them all, you know, kind of like, and we've seen plenty, you know, it, it, when we talk about cybersecurity and we talk about the challenges around phishing and ransomware and, and, and fraud, it's definitely not just happening for people in terms of just their businesses' lives. Obviously, people are getting hit with ransomware, you know, and then obviously things like kind of fraud and what have you, um, kind of, you know, kind of people losing their identities, getting their accounts compromised, and then even things like kind of romance fraud, which we've touched on on other kind of episodes of the podcast. There's huge kind of loss and damage to people's lives. So if an organisation can help deliver cybersecurity training that's helped effective, there's a real value to their employees in terms of them spending that money but then giving giving something back beyond just the business itself yeah absolutely and it's uh, hopefully more organizations begin to begin to recognize that so so in in terms of kind of i suppose kind of where we are now and where that's evolving we, we kind of touched on the fact that you know this is this is not a single point in time in terms of where the bad guys have got to and you've mentioned stuff like you know kind of like the voicemails and what have you um it, it's obviously you know i think it's contractually um impossible for us obviously not to mention ai at some point um because 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 everything um but i think not just that evolution of fish and more sophisticated and the ability to be able to do that both at scale but also being able to use ai potentially to to do greater data mining to be able to do more profiling and more targeting but also the rise of things like kind of deep fakes both from a visual perspective if somebody had to jump on a phone call or even audio we've seen amazing advances in audio of being able to of, of tools of being able to listen to just 10 seconds of someone talking and then being able to replicate that and then just effectively type it out and when you talk into those conversations that you mentioned earlier therefore the ability potentially of to listen to i don't know a ceo talking at a conference that the organization has posted on linkedin and then being able to replicate that that person's his or her voice and all of a sudden you've got a, you know an even more compelling uh, kind, of, uh, kind of targeted account. I mean, so you know, kind of where else are you kind of potentially? Where else are we seeing these these trends go in terms of the use of technology by the by bad actors? I think there's so many different sort of angles that end up getting taken, and some of them will be the more technologically sophisticated ones, where you you're embedding things in the background of image files to try and get. Yeah. You know, malware, ransomware, spyware into the organization. And you know, we still need to keep front and center in people's minds that uh, there are potentially malicious attachments coming to the business and they're not necessarily going to be the executable file you should have been worried about a decade ago or yeah. the, the word document with a macro you should be worried about yeah. now. But it's, oh, that harmless picture of a bunny rabbit or something like that has now brought that spyware payload into the organization. So there's definitely the need to kind of keep people educated about those ever sort of evolving threats that will be more kind of content-based and, yeah. you know, um, file-based. But it's the sophistication of the language that appears in some of the messages coming to the organization because you, you can look for the content-based threats and as long as you're kind of evolving your defenses you can stay ahead of the attackers there but the biggest risk you see in a lot of organizations still is just that simple email with the words that are very convincing that are just trying to get you to do something and it's you know they've done a little bit of research and you're in the finance team and we just want you to transfer some money to us because we're one of your suppliers and you're overdue and it all just sounds very legitimate and it looks just like a you know, hundred dollar emails they've had that day yeah, and I think you know you, you mentioned AI there, and it's very good at uh, building these kind of convincing 
business-like emails where maybe some of the, the grammar that might you've given it away in the past, some of the punctuation, etc., etc., is not going to give it away now because you can run it through uh, one of the AI tools and it will give you something that looks nice and legitimate. You, the the deep fake side of things, I think, especially is, is, is a little bit worrying because we are so much more trusting when we can see somebody face to face when we're talking to them or we get that voice message. or And if you're able to convincingly do something like that, where, oh, 10, 30 minutes, 30 second, you know, voicemail from the CEO or your boss or something like that, that just, oh, right, okay, my boss has asked me to do this and they're about to get on a plane and et cetera, yep. et cetera. So you'll respond to that. And I think we have to help people understand, especially as AI and these different uses for it are coming into play, we have to keep the employees as educated as possible about the constantly evolving threats they are to. I want to say keep that level of suspicion up and suspicion's a horrible thing to kind of drive into people but it's keep their level of caution up when it comes to interacting with them and helping them understand that if you are getting a message here and there's even that slightest sense tingling in the back of your head of something might be a little bit off don't be afraid to query it because yes it's the CEO asking you to do a thing and it all sounds very urgent and very important but just you've got the ability to take the time to just double check this with somebody else to make sure is it actually the CEO that's talking to me, regardless of how you know realistic that sounds. Yeah, I think it's interesting that kind of kind of as you say, there's kind of two ways it can go. It can go that kind of incredibly kind of technologically advanced and using some cool stuff in terms of like amazing AI or the deep fake technology. But the other way kind of reminds me of the, the kind of a phrase that's often used from more kind of historical research about the, the banality of evil. But just just really simple, basic, procedural based emails that that tick the boxes, sound official, don't really say too much, but just give simple process instructions of the sort that, as you say, people get every single day. That's a way to catch them out because it, it slips into their, their their standard everyday workflow. And that, and therefore that's how they don't notice. And I suppose that's, that's it, it's, it is sophisticated, the approach is sophisticated, but the, the kind of methodology in the language is very simple and dull, but that's in a way that it, you know, they don't want it to stand out. And I suppose that's, that's kind of part of the cleverness around it. Yeah, it just slips in under the radar. I, I think the danger is, especially in kind of any kind of IT or security related um, endeavor, everyone hears about the new shiny thing and we all get, oh, good God, there's all the threats yeah. that could come with AI and deep fakes, et cetera, et cetera. But we need to remember the simple fundamentals, the basics there, because that's the bit that, well, we're getting distracted over here by the shiny thing and the, the, the big scary threat. It's the simple email, it's the simple attachment, it's the simple message that comes in the organization that can be just as damaging because that's the bit that tricks somebody into, you know, giving their login credentials and now the attacker's got the foothold and now they can move, you know, get into the environment, get into the systems you don't want them into. Yeah. And one of the one of the kind of the, the, the kind of related to that the kind of the, the phrases that gets kind of talked about that's obviously very common around cybersecurity at the moment is is the concept around zero trust and we think of that as being a, a kind of a, you know a framework obviously not a product but a kind of a methodology for organisations to try and embrace how they manage kind of identities and access for for, for organisation for employees accessing organisation kind of resources but actually is that is that is a way of embodying that actually how we train our employees as well in terms of getting them to understand that the concept of trust just as the IT team are doing with them but actually they should be doing the same thing with other other people kind of pre-building in that that skeptical approach to things Uh, yeah I I think so and You've got this kind of tension because you know, I can't think of any business I've been into over the last however many years now where it's all nice and relaxed and everyone's yeah. just got, you know, over fine. 80% capacity. Yeah, we've got plenty of extra bandwidth to do stuff. Everyone's busy. Everyone is under pressure to deliver. Yeah. And in those kind of situations, the attackers can thrive because when you're busy, you're under pressure. That's where you don't take the time to stop and question something. That's where you don't think, oh, I can't even wait five minutes to send an email and get a, a response back from somebody to say, yeah, that's perfectly legit, go ahead and do that. And people just crack on and do things. Yeah. And they often do it with the best will in the world because they oh, see yeah. it as, I'm doing my job, I'm going above and beyond, I'm helping out a colleague in distress who's in need of something. And so again, with that kind of educational piece, that awareness piece, it's about 
just helping people understand that it's better to take that extra five minutes to be that little bit more cautious when it comes to yeah. handling these types of information. And I think it's the, the fishing messages coming in, but more and more as we kind of go through all these digital transformation journeys, adopt all these funky new cloud services, and hey, AI, we can use that to do our job easier, and let's just stick a whole bunch of customer details or patient data into the cloud. Yeah. It, all of these kind of things, people think you security and compliance is, is the afterthought in those kind of situations because people are looking at, oh, it's the, the new ways I can do something, the new ways I can go above and beyond. So again, it's about helping people understand you just need to take, you know, it's the equivalent of mentally counted to 10 before you reply sometimes. Yeah. It's just taking that breath, just taking that pause to say, is this the right thing to be doing with this type of information? And kind of, we can look back to some of that kind of nudge education we talked about earlier, where sometimes it's about, you know, the, the employee does go to report, respond to that email that they've had from the CEO or the consultant who wants the information, or they do think, oh, maybe if I upload all this stuff to the chat GPT, it can analyze it all for me and save me a bunch of time. That'll be brilliant. It's just those little pop-ups that say, hey, you know what? This looks like medical information that's probably not the most appropriate yeah. place for you to be putting that to just yeah. to give them that you know that speed bump of oh yeah you're right actually maybe maybe i need to think about what i'm doing here yeah. uh, and just get them to go off and talk to somebody about that yeah and i sometimes wonder as well is is kind of making how we kind of educate and talk to talk to employees and you know if it's kind of explaining the concepts around you know kind of what an organization might be doing with zero trust maybe that's a bit too high level but because you know i kind of wonder sometimes if an organization kind of sees very visible elements of cyber security in in a good way in terms of you know some of the things that you guys also do around things like kind of classification and around dlp is sometimes uh, you know we can actually almost be doing too good a job in terms of demonstrating to employees what an organization is doing that they just view it as a safety blanket and they you know kind of like oh well i've got that it's fine the you know it are gonna it wouldn't let me click on something that i shouldn't be clicking on because something would come up and if i sent something and it was wrong somebody's gonna gonna catch it i suppose it's it's kind of making sure employees understand kind of their role in it that technology is not going to not always going to be able to catch absolutely everything yeah, I, and as part of that kind of educational piece, it's, you know, we always hear, oh, your security is everyone's business, or, you know, if you deal with sales organizations, sales is everyone's business. Yeah, yeah. But it it sounds cheesy, but you have to help the employees that they have uh, an integral part to play yeah. when it comes to the, the security of the organization, the compliance side of things. Help them understand what the impact in the organization is. You know, it's, it's not a blame culture. We're not going to fire you if you do this. But... You know, if we get a fine that's 1% of our global turnover per day, then that's pretty significant, isn't it? If we get yeah. a fine that's 20 million euros, then that's going to impact us and bonuses, pay rises, etc., etc. So help people understand what the the impact in the organisation could be and trickle down to them yeah. so that they understand why they should be invested into it. But again, this comes back a little bit to the top of the conversation around it being driven by from the top because... When you look at you know things like GDPR, they talk about security by design, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you go into so many organisations where still you see teams launching projects, going through application rollouts, and they just kind of quietly sort of push that security by design bit under the blanket, yeah. in the hope that they'll get to the end of it and go, well, hey, we're ready to launch. Somebody goes, well, have you done the security bit? not really but you know if you want us to delay the launch then that's going to be problematic yeah. in the hope that people will just go oh okay because it seems to be too difficult so you need to help people understand from the, the top that this is important to the business and if you do not do these things then that project's not going to get launched here we're not going to do in, in engaged in this endeavor here so there is no higher power that you can appeal to to override the security and the compliance side of things because the ceo is driving that side of things and I think your point about organizations doing too good a job sometimes with the security side of it is, you know, time and again, you just hear people go, oh, I just see that as being IT's job or security's job or compliance's job. And they don't see that they're part of that. So you have to drive that down from up top. But with some of those educational pieces, with some of those nudge educational pieces, um, I think sometimes it's not about just blocking and stopping everything, you know, because... 
there will be times where you want to take a softer approach when you're rolling out new projects, new policies. But it's just about giving the, the, the people that bit of a notification that, you know, to help them understand, look, this thing that you're doing here looks a little bit riskier than it should be. Do you think you should be doing that? Yeah. And those kind of softer touch pieces, I think, tend to lead to better adoption from the employees. And it feels like almost a little bit more like a collaborative thing rather than just, oh, security telling me not to do a thing. Oh, I'll find another way to do that. I'll use my personal Dropbox account around it yeah. to do that. Yeah, and I, I think it's kind of it, that, that kind of extending on that role of when it, it's not just kind of uh, kind of security in terms of blocking stuff or, or, or preventing female uh, kind of phishing attachments or whatever whatever it happens to be, but also around things like kind of classification of kind of making it as organic a process as possible of people kind of feeding into the system to like you know what what kind of what's secure what's not secure providing that feedback and kind of I suppose but the more they more they interact with it that can help build a much better understanding of not just the technology but the role they play in it as well so yeah. I, think, I think there are dangers of like people do make an assumption if they see it but nonetheless having more visible cyber security can definitely help because ultimately you always hope that more awareness and more education is always going to deliver better outcomes yeah, and I think the classification side of things is really interesting because you know, visual markings are always going to be useful because they help to subtly educate the employees about, oh, yeah. right, this is sensitive information, it's internal, they want to send it out. But actually, your point about engaging them in the process, I think, is hugely beneficial because, as always, you, we, we hear about the shiny bobble and everyone talks about AI, so it's like, oh, we can use AI to solve all our DLP yeah. compliance and classification needs and it'll all be amazing. And I think we've both been around the industry long enough that we can keep hearing each hype cycle of, yep. oh, AI will do it. Oh, whatever. Oh, always a shiny new thing. <laughs> yeah, and we, I get very cynical about these kind of things. So the important thing, I think, is it's about the fundamentals. It's about the basics. If we get the fundamentals and the basics right, then the AIs, the shiny bobbles, can be the things that give us those small percentage point improvements that actually can remove some of the pain to the organization but actually yeah. the most useful things you can do are the things we can absolutely do today without the shiny bobbles and we often hear about the employees being the the biggest risk in our cyber security posture uh, but they're also the best asset we've got because if we think about something like classification and it's been around for enough years and there's a people with enough scars to go, oh, no, it doesn't work for me. It's like, well, yeah, but you threw everything into confidential. And amazingly enough, you're still stopping everything because it's all confidential now. But if you can involve the employees in the process, they're the people who typically will best understand the sensitivity of the data that they're working with. You know, somebody in IT, security or compliance, they can set the structure in place for the classification you know, structure. They can do some of the education to the employees of, well, you know, if it's this type of data, this is the type of classification you should have. So it's yeah. not getting classified inappropriately. But, you know, somebody in IT, are they going to understand what a new, what the latest M&A project looks like? Are they going to understand what some of the concerns from the HR department are? Probably not. So use the employees, involve them in the process and get them to classify the information. Give them a classification structure that is actually going to be effective to the organization. So it's not just confidential, it's confidential and customer A, it's this type of information, it's this retent, you know. So th there's more values associated with that file that allow you to enforce more granular, more effective policies when it comes to the DLP and compliance controls. Yeah. And that way, you make sure that you're identifying the sensitive information because your employees are identifying the sensitive data. You, they see the benefit of that because they see the false positives. You know, their communications that are getting stopped yeah, yeah. aren't getting stopped inappropriately anymore because that thing that is confidential and relates to customer A was able to go through to customer A and good God, you saved their back because you stopped them when they accidentally sent that across to customer B. So they start to see some of that feedback loop mm -hmm. to see, oh yeah, okay, th th this is the benefit of that. Um, but use, use the employee, but make sure you've got the electronic backstops. You know, I always talk about that kind of people process technology thing and you know, the, the people, the educational piece is hugely important. Getting the processes that they're using as easy to use as possible, again, is hugely important because if it's tricky, they'll find another way of doing it. But using technology as a backstop for that time when somebody is busy and under pressure and tired and makes a mistake, Oh, right, it was a thousand page document. I didn't realize Appendix D had a whole bunch of PII in it. So, all right, so it's not, 
you know, public information. Actually, it's confidential. It's got PCI, OPI, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you can again use that as the backstop to say, actually, this we found this information here. Again, do the nudge education piece. Make sure you've got the right classification there. And then if you're leveraging the employees in that way and engaging them and they're seeing that positive feedback, then when you take the shiny bobbles of the AI to go, well, actually, let's start to look at the things that would give us some of the false positives around medical information or PII so we can start to separate out some of those pieces, then that's where it can give you those small step changes. But just relying on that to do all your stuff for you, I think is going to turn out to be a little bit more disappointing for organisations from there. Yeah. But definitely, I think having employees kind of taking that role, and I suppose that kind of leads to then, the, you know, applying those same principles, not just within an organisation, but externally as well. So obviously one of the kind of, you know, major kind of threat vectors that, that it, we've seen a huge growth in is around supply chain attack of, you know, not going for an organisation directly, but going via its customers and suppliers. And I suppose having employees with that right mindset or, and how they engage with third parties, maybe how they validate, how they check them, how they engage with them and share that information. That That is a way of spreading kind of best practice and policy enforcement kind of automatically without technology, um, kind of, you know, kind of at least initially in terms of making sure that employees are engaging with their partners in, you know, and, and customers and contractors and what have you in the right way as well. And that kind of therefore extends, you know, beyond an organisation. Yeah, it's that whole security by design piece, and you know people talk about security by design. So obviously you think about that from like a, I don't know, software and application or a development side of things. But it's building security into all the business processes as well. And you know if you're in HR, finance, marketing, or whatever, and you're bringing on a new supplier and new business partner to do a thing, if you are more educated about some of the risks around sensitive information, some of the compliance concerns, business continuity, all these kind of things, you can start to think about oh actually. I probably do need to involve these groups of stakeholders from within my own organization to make sure that we're doing our due diligence to ensure that we're not bringing a security risk into the business here or we're not giving information to this third party where maybe their systems aren't going to be as um, well protected as we'd like them to be or the people who can ask the sensible questions you know hey data sovereignty is a concern for us so based on some of the information we handle and we're going to give it to this third party over there where's that data actually going to live so it's just raising the security awareness across the organization just gets people to the point where they can go oh yeah here's a question i have to ask or here are the people i need to involve in the in the conversation um to make sure that we're we're doing all the appropriate due diligence that we see because the attackers as you mentioned you know they've seen the value of moving to the third party supply chain we've seen a big thing with the bbc and ba and whatever yeah you know through that payroll breach recently and i think that is just it's going to be a fact of life going forward where you can put the best defenses in place for your organization but you've really got to ensure that third parties you're dealing with are handling the data securely and it's not just the third parties it's like well what do they use within their applications and their systems so there's all the fourth party risk and and all that goes from there so just having the employees at a point where they're talking to that new supplier aware enough to go i need to go and get somebody from this team involved in the conversation to ask the appropriate questions i think is hugely beneficial yeah, and I think it kind of, uh, you know, obviously it might have been, a, you know, when this podcast gets released, it would have been kind of a few weeks back, but obviously yeah. there's been quite a recent data breach that's involved a number of organisations that the, 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 the kind of the owner of the data got hit and, and a bunch of the people that they worked with, and it wasn't either of those sets of parties, it was another third party that ultimately got breached. And, and that's one of the complexities that, you know, embracing the kind of new digital world with integration and APIs and automation and data transfer that's made all of our lives and businesses so much more efficient um, represents those absolutely inherent risks. And, there, you know, there isn't a simple answer because ultimately you, you do have to have an element of you can't have zero trust you have to have an element of trust when working with your third parties and when you know if if they potentially have a breach it's 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 a real it is a real challenge and i think that's one of those those kind of biggest biggest steps for us as a as an industry to be able to to help organizations manage that supply chain risk around third parties that ultimately they don't own or have you know kind of control and responsibility for yeah i think it's quite interesting especially when you start talking to 
some of the third parties in a, in a situation where they're the ones providing services to other organisations. And one of the things you, you sometimes hear from them is they'll get the questionnaires and the documents through from their customers or their prospective customers, you know, with a shopping list of questions to answer all about IT security and compliance, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things I, I'm hearing quite often is they're very generic shopping lists that they're getting through of yeah. questionnaires. And you absolutely understand why that was done. You know, somebody's come to, oh, let's make sure antivirus in the endpoint, blah, blah, blah. But one of the points they're making is, look, we spend a bunch of time answering all these questions over here. But as we're working through that, we can see that they're not asking us the questions they should be asking us around some of the third-party systems we're using or some of the processes or some of the data handling and so on. So I think one of the things when when we're talking to the suppliers is we need to make sure that we are asking them the right questions, the most appropriate questions based upon the use cases um, that are going to be involved there because then that, again, we're much more likely to get that supplier to say, oh, actually, we haven't thought about that or you know, tell us that they assure us that they've got the appropriate controls in place from there. Yeah, um, sorry, Don't go. Yeah, and we can also look at... We do have to share information outside of the organization, but yeah. there's maybe things like the digital rights management or secure collaboration mechanisms that we can start to use ourselves when we're sharing data with third yeah. parties, where we're maybe still giving us the ability to exert some control over that information once it's hit the third party, because if it does get breached and stuff gets stolen off their servers, then you know because we've used the DRM to not just encrypt the data, but to also control the access, and the permission side of things, I think that's kind of quite useful from that perspective because, yep, that third party got breached but and the data was taken, but the attackers aren't going to be able to do anything with that data. So there's, there's things that we can look at when we're dealing with these outsourcing partners and so on where we can maybe try and ensure that we're still exerting some control over the information rather than just relying on them saying, oh, yeah, yeah of course we're secure, you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and I, th I think kind of we're kind of just probably just coming up to the, the, the kind of approaching approaching the end. So I suppose in terms of where do we, you know, is there potential for building that into kind of more frameworks, uh, compliance standards in terms of not just the, the the kind of two areas we've kind of covered, I suppose, most in terms of that training and education within an organisation, but also having a greater element of requiring organisations to take greater responsibility around supply chain risk and, and how they engage with third parties and kind of building in kind of greater degree of responsibility and accountability for that. Yeah, I mean, you, you see that with things like uh, Dora Digital Operational Resilience Act, you've seen that yeah. focus going into financial services in the EU and it's going to kind of be mirrored across into the UK as well. And with things like NIST 2 and other pieces of guidance, regulations or whatever are coming through, that's definitely putting more focus onto organisations now about this you know, third party supply chain risk and it will be interesting to see with things like DORA as that kind of moves more to the member states and that gets kind of fleshed out there when they're talking more explicitly about the types of controls within there, what that turns into because at the high level with DORA is talking about you know doing your own kind of vulnerability management scans, your pen testing, your threat-led pen testing, etc., etc. But there's all the pieces in Dora that's talking about you know protecting the security, the confidentiality, and the integrity of the data as well. There, so I think as that that sort of thing gets translated down into the more explicit local legislation, it's going to be very interesting to see what gets not mandated, but is definitely recommended there as as requirements because I think organisations need that kind of guidance to work towards not because yeah. the CISOs etc don't know what they should be doing there they absolutely do the reason you need it kind of looping back to the, the, the ROI and justifying training in the first place was the most effective way is having compliance legislation that you can hold up to the yeah. board and say we should be doing this because if we don't do this we'll get fined so it's about essentially giving the security teams the, the CISOs the compliance teams who know this stuff inside out it's giving them the additional tools to go back into their organization to get the buy-in by saying well look these are all the things that have been mandated as part of this legislation here so yeah. we should be doing this because if we're not and if we have a data breach 
and then somebody like the Information Commissioner's Office yeah. comes in, they're going to be working through that list. And if we can say, oh, well, we didn't do that because we thought it would be too expensive, then that that's the point where, you know, we're potentially opening ourselves up for a more significant fine there. So it's really with those bits of legislation, I think it's about giving the, the already aware security and compliance teams just the additional tools to get the buy-in from the organisation. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then uh, kind of in terms of the, the final question that I always kind of like to ask, whether it's a whether it's a reseller listening to this, one of our partners talking to their customers, or whether it's a you know an individual working you know in a security role within their organisation. In terms of the kind of like right next steps, there's always one thing, one one takeaway. What's the one thing that they should do kind of after this? What's the kind of easy easy first step to be able to do to kind of building a you know a more secure organisation? Well, the training person is always going to say training at this point, yeah, I'm afraid. Yeah, but, yeah. but actually, from a serious perspective, I think reviewing the security awareness and the compliance training programs that you have in place today and understanding if they're fit for purpose and taking the time to make changes to them can be the most effective way of doing that. There are huge libraries, of course, I'm going to go forward, I'm going to say, hey, we've got security awareness training. We can absolutely help from that perspective, but there are so many other things that you can do within the organization yourself if you don't want to go to a third party in order to do that. But if you can look at the security awareness training and say, you know what, we introduced all this GDPR training as that kind of panic tick box exercise two years ago, and it's once a year and everyone hates it, let's look at what we can do now to make it more effective, make it varied, make it front and center, keep it front and center in people's minds get that good fundamental understanding within the employee work- workforce and then you can build on top of that because then you can take advantage of that with the the classification tools involved in the classification yeah. process and that's going to give you the benefits when it comes to you know, reducing the overhead and the pain that comes with your DLP and your compliance programs. There's so many good things that will come from just a better educated workforce. Yeah, just taking that step and reviewing what you what you've got, and probably talking to your employees about it, getting yeah. making feedback, making sure they're on board. That's absolutely brilliant. Lots of useful stuff. Really good chat, and hopefully lots of things that people can kind of take forward as well. Really appreciate your time, um, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. I do appreciate it. Hopefully everybody subscribed, um, and don't forget to look out for the next episode. Um, other than that, Nick, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for your time. Pleasure. Appreciate it. And everybody else, have a great day. Thank you.